Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Jackson. Arts Access Florida is a comprehensive initiative designed to shine a spotlight on your neighborhood's diverse arts organizations. Each episode will highlight their programs and more importantly, amplify the voices of the people they impact. Conversations, community, and connections. That is the value in engaging with your local arts organizations. Arts access equals arts access. Support for Arts Access Florida comes from the Community Foundation Tampa Bay. Championing philanthropy, encouraging and connecting givers to bring lasting good, investing in education and economic mobility. Learn more at cftampabay.org. episode of the Arts Access Florida podcast, we speak with three organizations that strive to build communal and educational values through performances, programming, and diversifying artistry. West Coast Black Theater Troupe, Polk Museum of Art, and the Florida Museum of Photographic Arts. First, we are joined with Nate Jacob and Julie Leach from the West Coast Black Theater Troupe. Through theatrical performances, this organization spotlights the important stories of Black lives while educating the public on the influences African Americans have had in the United States. Nate and Julie also give us a glimpse into what we can expect in their upcoming season. Next, we speak with Dr. Alexander Rich, the Executive Director and Chief Curator of the Polk Museum of Art. This organization emphasizes the importance of arts education with K-12 programs, allowing both children and young adults to explore the endless possibilities of art. The museum even offers hands-on experience for those interested in starting a career in museum works. Finally, we talk with Dr. Zora Carrier, the Executive Director of the Florida Museum of Photographic Arts. Since the pandemic, the museum has tailored its mission towards helping the community through weekly healing activities and new art installations that focus on a person's well-being and self-reflection. All right. Hi, Nate and Julie. Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. How are you both today? Excellent. Thank you. I'm doing great. So let's jump right into it. Um, give us a bit of insight into your roles at the West Coast Black Theater Troupe. And Julie, we'll start with you. Well, I'm the executive director here, which is uh, the business side of the equation. So um, a lot of budgeting and uh, development, advancement work and um, helping produce the creative season season that Nate Nate does the planning for so I direct the company West Coast Black Theater Troupe along with Julie uh, uh, my title here is founding artistic director I'm the founder of the theater company we're 21 years old now and uh, I plan the artistic program here at the theater um, and work with Julie to make sure we present the best quality, professional, artistic work and product we can and um, work and plan uh, some of the other artistic programs we are just bringing on the education director to help with some of the educational artistic planning. But 
that is my job to just oversee the artistic program of the theater company, which means hiring talent, the artists, uh, being a part of hiring the uh, band along with our program um, manager, um, production manager. Uh, so the whole artistic world is uh, what I kind of am a steward of here at the theater. Wonderful, and congratulations for reaching 21 years. That's a success. Thank you. Very <laughs> happy. Yeah. Is it, it wasn't an easy journey. Although right. the last uh, 11, 12 years have been a lot better than the mm -hmm. first. <laughs> Amen to that, Julie. <laughs> and, and Julie, I'll, I'll bring this one to you. So as your organization begins to open back up, what are some things our audience can look forward to in the coming months for the West Coast Black Theater Troupe? Well, we're hoping to have a, a complete season uh, starting in October. Our first show is UB, uh, music of UB Blake, a Broadway show originally. And then, um, you know, we're blessed here at West Coast Black Theater Troupe that our artistic director, Mr. Jacobs, um, creates a lot of our shows. So we have a lot of original material we do every year, but this year in particular, we have um, several of his shows. So the next show we're doing is a holiday show called Joyful Joyful. In the past, uh, we've rotated between Black Nativity and Motown Christmas. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those is Nate's show too, the Motown Christmas. But um, mm -hmm. this year he's creating a new one. He can tell you some more about that later. And then we have uh, Ruby, which is another show that he's creating actually with his brother. That's more of a musical drama. He can tell you about some of that and the development of that later in the conversation if you want. Then we're doing something called Broadway in Black, which is a review of the greatest Black musicals from Broadway, Dreamgirls and Liz and all kinds of fun stuff in that. And then we're wrapping up the season with a couple of one act shows uh, by some of our younger aspiring artists some one of them is more of a developed artist but she workshopped the show here and created it. it's kind of our young playwright series we're putting that on this year as part of our main stage season we're so excited about the two new shows they'll be in a each a one act together like it'll be a paired show each day when you go so um, that's kind of different exciting for us we have lots of education programs we're planning for the year too um, to reach school children and hiring a new education director that's going to help us accomplish that. So mm -hmm. a lot going on. And Nate, this year's artistic lineup is really impressive. I checked it out. Tell us more about the process for choosing what plays will be showcased, because I'm sure it can be tough. Yeah, um, most seasons, I um, come up with a theme, kind of umbrella. Mm -hmm which all of our artistic offerings fall under. Uh, this season, of course, <laughs> I think is very fitting and still re-rise, <laughs> um, but it's from you know, a universal perspective of definitely indigenous people, uh, of course, African-Americans who have, um, you kind of, you know, have been challenged quite a bit in this country and through all the obstacles and challenges and still we rise. Mm. So we are celebrating that resilient spirit of a people and telling 
some of the stories, some of the history. So opening with the father of Black Broadway, UB Blake, who partnered with Noble Sissel to produce the first professional all Black, all composed and created Broadway musical, Shuffle Along, mm. to um, celebrate him as far as breaking open the door for African-Americans to mm. celebrate their gifts and talents on the Great White Way, which before it shuffled along, there was no people of color on that platform. Mm. And then to do Joyful Joyful was just a celebration of life, like we were saying just a minute ago. Um, dealing with holiday music, various arrangements that are high spirited and, and just just wanting to be something to evoke the spirit of celebration for the holidays. It's a nonstop concert that sets off like a rocket until it lands. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, and then um, I kind of try to put some other things to talk about that kind of resilience. Mm. In Ruby, it deals with uh, True story that happened in Live Oak, Florida here, a black woman, uh, Ruby McClung, and she was married. They were the most prestigious <clears throat> and wealthy black couple in Live Oak in the 1950s, almost unheard of, the kind of wealth that they had being African-Americans. And they partnered with a very affluent uh, white gentleman and his family. And uh, then all of a sudden things took a turn where um, the white gentleman is killed, is shot by the black woman. And then the story begins to unfold to tell a story of intrigue and drama and mystery that is, to be honest with you, is still a mystery in Live Oak, Florida today. It's the wow. taboo. So we developed a new musical to tell our version of the story. Zora Neale Hurston mm -hmm. was with the Pittsburgh Chronicles at the time, and she was sent to Live Oak to to kind of dictate the story from the black woman's perspective, because you know, back in the 1950s, there was only one perspective right. <laughs> that came to the light. Right. And so very interesting and very excited about finally, we had to cancel it twice because of the pandemic and right. things like that, but glad to bring it to the stage. So every one of our shows fall under that umbrella. And then the two new pieces, uh, the one act that share an evening together during our season. One is celebrating Nell Carter, who was, you know, a non-traditional Black woman who most people thought would never make it on Broadway in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And because of her tenacity to take nothing less than what she wanted out of life, she dominated Broadway, mm -hmm. won a Tony, and then went on from there to be a hit on television with our own show, Give Me a Break. So the same resilience we're talking about. And then we, second show of that evening is Float Like a Butterfly, which of course is the phenomenal Muhammad Ali. And we kind of deal with his, his using his platform to be an activist for change, uh, kind of on the heels of Dr. Martin Luther King, because he was really out on the platform and Dr. King was out there with the civil rights movement. It celebrates his activism for civil rights and uh, shares his views, which is scary. When, when we were developing the piece in the studio, it was so scary that all of this stuff is so prevalent today. Mm -hmm. 
And although there have been changes in America, wow, we still have a long way to go. And we were just sitting in the studio, just building the show, thinking even the young, we had two young musicians who uh, were debuting their music in this show. And they would stop and go like, oh my God, you know what? This is just like what's happening today. This is what we just did in the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sad to say, but true. So Nate, how can these choices and performances speak to the issues facing Black people today? First of all, awareness is everything. You know, when people don't know, they just don't know. Um, to bring awareness is everything. And the theater is the edifice that houses that catharsis that happens between live performance and human beings. When in our country, you know, a lot of people don't go to church no more. Mm. They will come to a theater because for the, in their heads, it's more exciting and all of that. So we get an opportunity to get up on that platform and really get into the hearts and minds and spirit. Unlike very few uh, platforms are able to do this, this day and time, you know, to get those kids out of their cell phone and sometimes adults out of their cell phones to sit in the dark for two hours and listen, mm. really listen and see our lives played out before us, to see other people's contributions played out before us, which tells us things are possible. Miracles can happen. You can overcome, you can achieve. And there is absolutely no giving up on whatever is true for you. You sit in the dark and that stuff is rehearsed in your mind, rehearsed in your heart. Mm -hmm. So it's a change mechanism, I feel, as a, a producer of the theater. Mm -hmm. Even for the actors on stage, I wrote this little piece called uh, Technicolor Musical that is a cry for more uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion mm -hmm. for the world. And so these young artists, between 11 and up to 19 years old, they had a chance to speak their voices and rehearse that message in their heads. I told them, I said, this cast in this theater is a community. So we're gonna go before the audiences and tell them that they need to love and be more understanding and be more equitable toward each other. Mm -hmm. Are we doing that in the cast with your colleagues at this theater? how you deal at lunchtime with the kids that you're sitting around eating lunch with. That stuff is rehearsed. Theater is just a playback of our lives. Because we are different in some ways, mostly culturally, because we all kind of want the same things, the, you know, the, the essence of a human being, we all are alike. We all dream, we all love, we all hope. Uh, we all cry at times, and but the thing that makes us a little different is the culture, mm -hmm. which happens with the environments we are, we grew up in, mm -hmm. and so to never see your culture celebrated, which is the essential reason why there needs to be a West Coast Black theater troupe, is sometimes 
the absence of it is possible for me. So black children seeing a black actor on stage talking about their black story says to them, wow, so I'm important too. And, and my story is worth celebrating or talking about it or bringing awareness to just because they are represented on yeah. that platform. Um, not only are you providing educational performances, but you're also educating the public about the impact that Black community members have had within the theater setting. These subject matters that we are presenting and offering this season does just that, you know, continue to reiterate the power of everyone's contribution. Having a platform where we have the freedom to do that here at WBTT is just invigorating what a special community Sarasota is because they do support the arts and are passionate about this theater. We receive so much community support and it's exciting to see um, African-American retirees coming here and coming to the theater and saying, mm -hmm. wow, this is one of the main reasons I chose Sarasota to live in because I knew I could come to a black theater when I got down here. Mm -hmm. So we, we really see a lot of widespread community support for this organization, especially our education programs are all funded through donors and uh, we provide you know, this five week summer camp to those students for free through donor support. So I, we feel blessed to be here in Sarasota, we're an arts love community and we appreciate being on Art Access Florida very much. It's a neat platform, so thank you. It's a, it's a beautiful partnership and it just goes to show the success you've had. And I'll say it again, 21 years. That is such an amazing success. And Nate and Julie, I wanna thank you so much. Thank you, have a great day. Not only are their productions entertaining, but the West Coast Black Theater Troupe has created a safe space that elevates the voices of Black lives, while giving African Americans an opportunity to indulge in the creative realm of theater. For more information on the West Coast Black Theater Troupe, please visit our show notes. Hi, Alex. We're so happy to have you on the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to have you. What is something you want our listeners to know about this museum? Well, I think what's really important to know is that we are a long-established community museum that has actually been in Lakeland and has been Polk County, Florida's community museum since 1966. But since 2017, we affiliated with Florida Southern College, my employer. And at that point, we transitioned the museum to becoming an academic community museum. Now, of course, every museum is always educational and academic in some way. But with the affiliation and with my coming over initially as curator and now as executive director and chief curator of the museum, we really sought to raise the caliber of everything that we did educationally, exhibition-wise, et cetera. And so we really do pride ourselves on being a world-class museum that probably too few people have heard about. And we are a Smithsonian affiliate. So that's a great kind of feather in our cap. And we are the only Smithsonian affiliate fine art museum in Central Florida. 
That is certainly something to be proud of. And tell us more about this partnership with the Florida Southern College. How has that transformed this museum into more of an academic museum? Well, you know, Florida Southern College is uh, about a block south of the museum. So it seemed like an inevitability. And well before my time at Florida Southern, it seems like it should have been some sort of a more complete connection between the two institutions. I actually came down from New York City to just be the head of the art history program at Florida Southern uh, back in 2014. And never did I imagine that we would create this affiliation between the local museum. And then that would become the essential part of my job. And and actually developing a whole new major program of art history and museum studies at the museum, where my department that I'm chair of as the head of the art history department is now housed at the museum. We've created this great opportunity both for Florida Southern College students and for student learners of all ages. And that includes everyone in our community from, you know, from the youngest child through to the oldest learner willing to spend time and learn about the world's museums to really have a great way to find out more about art, art history, and also the inner workings of museums. And I believe everyone's kind of fascinated about how museums work. I kind of joke that if lots of people dream of being astronauts, but I think a lot of people also are fascinated by, hey, how do, how do you get all those objects up on the walls? And how do you build those dinosaurs, et cetera? So I think everyone's always intrigued by how museums work. And I think the affiliation with Florida Southern really um, was the catalyst to make our museum more and more outstanding and also bring in great master work art shows. So that's been the most obvious difference uh, since we affiliated in 2017 is that just what we've been showing the public and the types of shows and exhibitions we've been able to present have, um, as far as I know, and as far as the feedback that I've received have outweighed anything that we've done in the decades before. I've read that this is actually a free service to your community. Absolutely. We pride ourselves on being a free admission museum. We never want seeing art or enjoying a museum or having that experience of seeing art in a museum to be any obstacle to anyone based on cost. So we are open to the public. We are free every day of the week that we are open. And that is due to the generosity of our strategic partners and to our members. So we have a great body of members who really do help to underwrite the opportunity for others to be able to come to the museum. And we like to think about it just like nobody would ever doubt going to a library and having that be free and accessible to anyone who wants to read a book. We believe just as strongly, maybe even more strongly that visual uh, culture and visual literacy really should be on the cutting edge of what everyone is able to access and everyone is able to enjoy. So we are free admission and we're very, very, very proud of that. I see the museum also offers a variety of programs for children and young adults. Um, tell us more about that. Yeah, we, we are a, you know, full-blown museum in every way you could imagine. Um, of course, you know, for most people, exhibitions are the most obvious and kind of frontline element of our education and our educational programming. But we do really cater to learners, as I said, of all ages. And some of our great pride and joy as well is our uh, K through 12 programming. So we run uh, four sets of camps and class programs during the year, including really our summer camp programs, which are um, so well established and so popular. So we just finished those up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we run fall class and spring classes and spring break camp. And those are popular outlets for students to spend a week or two weeks or even over the summer, six to eight weeks 
learning about different art of different media and working with our local educators. So those are real strong points of the museum. And then of course, we have adults coming through for our classes as well. Um, our members do get free access to certain classes. I will actually be offering a class in September that is a fundraiser for the museum. I'll be teaching uh, contemporary art history and I this will actually be my third iteration of that as a fundraiser for the museum. So we really do try to offer, in addition to our exhibition programs, we really do try to offer classes and continue education both for adults and for students when they are outside of their regular class hours. It really is something that we pride ourselves on. And again, we are an academic institution and I lead the museum as a professor first and foremost. I may be the director and the chief curator, but I still see everything through the lens of being a professor and a teacher. And I think that's really important. And I hope, hopefully that's important also to the, uh, the success of the museum. Not only are you offering education programs, but you also uh, encourage those who attend to learn about careers in the arts. Absolutely. I, I mean, most obviously is my department at Florida Southern. So as I said, um, we are actually, we're in our second year of a brand new major. We've had art history as a major at Florida Southern since, you know, forever. But when we had the affiliation with the museum, we decided, you know what, now we have our own nonprofit institution dedicated to the study of art and the propagation of learning about art. So let's actually break off the major into its own department and into its own newly um, expanded major art history and museum studies. So I'm the chair of the Department of Art History Museum Studies housed on the second floor of the museum. And so our students are a great example of giving pre-professional opportunities to learning about what it's like to work in a museum. Um, our first year students from the first days they arrive on campus at Florida Southern and come to the museum, they have the chance to work with our curatorial team or our marketing team uh, or our education team and find out what areas of the museum they might be interested in, in terms of pursuing careers. We also encourage high school students to come in and intern to help during our summer camps as well. Um, I get great emails from students who are interested in our program, hoping they might be able to shadow um, even now in the years prior to applying ideally to Florida Southern or to elsewhere to see what it would be like to have a career in nonprofits or museums. And I also believe that a lot of adults are intrigued by it too. And we've often talked about the idea of how can we even give some sort of intensive insight for adult learners into what goes on behind the scenes at museums. And it is a really fascinating thing. I mean, I've been working in museums since I was 16 years old as an intern at the Metropolitan Museum in New York City. So I, I know firsthand how cool it can be when you are especially young to get a glimpse into how museums run. And we really, really, really do pride ourselves on that as well, that we are not just learning and learning institution in terms of what we offer publicly, but also in terms of the actual jobs and the professions within that world too. As we continue to, as we all know, embrace this digital age that we're in, how has the museum been able to transmit art onto screen while still maintaining like an educational component? Yeah, it's a great question because I think a lot of us in the museum profession, along with you know, people in all different professions, obviously we're somewhat bewildered by the concept of how do we continue doing what we do as professionals and you know as educational institutions or media outlets etc in the time of a pandemic and for many of us on the museum side we said well now what is an art museum without the art museum because mm -hmm. we also pride ourselves very much on the idea of firsthand experiences looking at actual works of art as i tell my students in my classroom there's 
nothing quite like seeing an actual work of art as opposed to seeing a slide projected on a wall. Sometimes I have to show them slides projected on walls because I can't just teleport them to France um, and see great works of say impressionist art that we're looking at in class together. But so the question became, what does a museum look like if you can't do your programs or offer your exhibitions in person? And what we realized quickly was that by starting to move our programming online. We started to do virtual programming. We started to do virtual lectures. We started to chat about the inner workings of museums. And we realized that there was a thirst and a desire in our broadening community to learn a little bit more about how museums function and a little bit more about behind the scenes of museums. And we found great success when we launched our virtual programming actually beginning the first week of May of 2020. We had never ever done anything virtual before. And then it became a weekly uh, program for us. Actually, I mean, I joke too that in the same spot where I'm sitting right now, um, I became basically like a public access TV host, which is not anything I ever desired in my life. But every Thursday night at 6 p.m., I was leading some new talk or lecture with members of the community or giving um, you know these you know crash courses on specific subjects. And we found that as opposed to being a detractor from what we did in person, virtual programming actually opened up a broader community to us and gave people access to the arts and to museum instruction in ways they never could have done before. So at 6 p.m., we heard from people, hey, you know, this is a time I usually couldn't come to an event at the museum physically, but I can log on to my phone or I can log on to my computer right now. And while I'm making the kids dinner, I can actually learn about the secret life of the Impressionists, or I can see all the weird, curious items you have stored away in the back of the museum. So we realized that there was a benefit to that. It's not quite the same as doing something in person. And I think people got tired, obviously, of staring at a screen over and over and over again. But it was a way for us to expand our community. And in the end, um, you know, over the course of a year, we had about 30,000 attendees of our virtual programs, which for us is really incredible. When in a typical year, we have about 140,000 in-person visitors, when we're able to add 30,000 more who attended our virtual programs, that's a pretty good new proportion of our attendance. Do you plan on keeping this uh, virtual experience going? We do. I have actually, I, I have vowed that we will continue doing virtual programs from here on out because again, our community is not just the Polk County community, not just the Central Florida community. We want people to know that our programming is unique, that we offer a unique experience. And we want anybody from you know who becomes familiar with us from anywhere in the region or across the country to still have access to our programs. We will, unless we have some sort of lockdown again, we will not be doing four times a month programming anymore. I simply, I don't have time to do it. Um, and I think a lot of people are a little bit exhausted of too much Zoom, but we will try to still at least do one or so virtual programs each month or when the occasion comes up. You know, if we have an artist or if we have some lender to an exhibition who can't come in person, that will also make itself really, really smart to do that as a Zoom program or as some sort of virtual lecture. Well, Alex, it has been such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I loved everything about the Polk County Museum of Art, and I'm so excited to make a visit myself. Uh, we just want to thank you for your time and for everything that you're doing for the community. Thank you so much, Brianna. I really appreciate it. Um, and come say hi to us. Polk Museum of Arts offerings for students is a perfect example of how community organizations like this one are highlighting the importance of an arts education. 
This museum has cultivated an environment that inspires and connects our next generation of artists. More information on the Polk Museum of Art is located in our show notes. Hi, Zora. Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Can you explain your role at the Florida Museum of Photographic Arts? Yes, um, the Florida Museum of Photographic Arts is just one of the 10 museums nationwide that specifically uh, exhibits and focus on photography. And I uh, started at the museum seven years ago and uh, with the with, um, ambition to, to expand the education classes here. And then uh, um, I was I was offered a position of, of executive director, and so I guess my my role uh, extended substantially. But I I very much appreciate that opportunity. I am actually an educator by trade. My my uh, my PhD is in pedagogy. And so I did actually focus on on different different groups and education in different groups. But very early, I started with um, art education as a, as a very important part of um, of developing our children's possibility and horizons. And so I work in different cultural institutions, um, mostly as an art educator. And that's wonderful. And I, I can tell that you, you have a passion for education and you see the need for our education. I see that the museum, it participates in this global event called Slow Art Tuesdays. Can you tell us more about that? Um, yes, um, I think that, that this uh, movement is just a very natural connection of people turning to art every time they would be in some kind of complicated situation. Art um, for centuries now have been a place where people will turn in, um, in hard times, either personally or, or financially or even politically or culturally. And so it's very uh, typical that people will pick up a book or or immerse themselves in a concert or or another form of art and visual art is um, is not different and there is a really a lot of opportunity with immersing yourself into visual art experience and um, being able to open and contemplate on your personal uh, problems and that's what what the slow art is about opening doors to understanding and and enjoying the visual art on much deeper and more complex level than uh, typically we do when we go and visit big exhibitions or museum collections so as a as a visitor walk us through what the visitor will see slow art tuesdays um well with the slow art tuesday we typically pick um couple pieces from the work that is on the view in the exhibitions. Mm -hmm. And then we will um, contemplate on that work on much um, more complex level. It starts with with the little uh, awareness and mindfulness exercise for a couple minutes. And then we as a group go in front of the artwork 
and just quietly observe and um, we have some questions on a worksheet for our visitors and they will just quietly try to make notes and see if they can respond to them and they are open-ended questions about um, what is happening and what are the multi-sensory experiences that are coming from that image. Mm -hmm. um, we can also imagine when we see an image, we can also have sensation of smell or sound. And so we encourage people to record all these, all these comments and, and observations they will have during um, viewing the artwork. And then we have again a little uh, mindfulness exercise and a little breathing exercise, and then we discuss. And then we, it's a moment of, a, of a inquiry and speculations. And it's very interesting to see um, people coming from different ways of life, having different uh, experience with particular artwork. And it's typically very eye-opening when we can exchange these experiences and, um, and filter the experience through our history, through our previous life. And um, it's, it's a very uh, complex experience and it gives also people a little bit of, um, of um, know-how, how to in the future approach exhibitions or specific artworks that might uh, catch their attention. And what type of responses have you received from your visitors that experience this? I think that, that they are really happy to see that the museum is an organic part of the community. And very swiftly reacts what the community needs and the academic exhibitions are very important and um, and uh, we need to also uh, play our role in community and if issues that are actually bothering or or important to community are not our issues then it means that we are not doing our work well and that we are not in the right time in the right place and and that's definitely not what we want to want to be or stand for we want to uh, be organic part of the needs of our visitors and members and and the community we serve and what are your thoughts on we live in such a technological and digital age um, a lot of people view art from their phones now from their computer so what do you what would you say is the importance of coming into a museum and, and viewing art in person? I'm not afraid of that. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that people come to the museum for a different experience. There is also a experience, social experience and a very important emotional experience with, um, with experiencing art and viewing exhibition the way it was installed and designed. Um, you know, we are kind of looking at history and when a radio was introduced, then everybody was pretty sure that there is no spot for concerts and why would anybody go to a concert when they can have the, the most important uh, musicals and, and music in, in the radio. And the same happened with the movies. When the movies theater started, then people were 
very skeptical about theaters and about plays that would be in person. Uh, but the truth is that there is place for all of us and um, we can in different situation um, approach or fulfill our needs on different way. But um, I don't think there is a way to replace the, the museum experience, the social experience, the, the excitement that comes with being in the presence of these wonderful objects and, and work of art. I agree. There, there's nothing like standing in a museum and experiencing that piece of art for the first time and how it impacts you. There's, there's nothing like being in person <laughs> and experiencing that. So I absolutely agree. Well, Zora, thank you so much for your time today and just sharing uh, all that you do at the Florida Museum of Photographic Art. Um, I hope our listeners enjoy and, and plan a visit soon. Thank you so very much. And thank you for your wonderful work and the opportunity to talk uh, about the work we do at the Florida Museum of Photographic Art. One of my favorite parts about hosting this show is discovering that there are so many organizations that are providing a voice to our marginalized communities, while others focus on the healing and the transmitting of knowledge. This showcases why organizations like these are so essential to our daily lives. Tune in next time for more stories and conversations on the Arts Access Florida podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsors, the Community Foundation Tampa Bay and the Gobioff Foundation. I'm Brianna Jackson, and you have been listening to the Arts Access Florida podcast. This show is a product of WUSF Public Media with the help of our founding sponsor, the Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. Our show is produced by Aaliyah Moffitt, Chandler Balcom, and Leslie Laney. A special thanks to our editor, Scott Walkler, and our entire engineering team. You can find out more information, performances, and other content that our local arts groups are creating by following us on Facebook or Instagram and visiting our website, artsaccessflorida.org. That's arts, A-X-I-S-F-L.org. Copyright 2021, WUSF Public Media.